Hello, everyone. Welcome to Prep Talk, the emergency management podcast. Find out what you need to know about preparedness, get all the latest tips from experts in the field, and learn what to do before the next disaster strikes. From the emergency management department in the city that never sleeps, here are your hosts, Omar Bourne and Allison Panisi. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening. I'm Omar Bourne. And I'm Allison Panisi. Thank you for joining us. We want you to come back as often as you can, so feel free to add Prep Talk to your favorite RSS feed. You can also follow us on social media. If you're an emergency management enthusiast, this is the episode for you. If you're not, stick around because you're going to gain a wealth of knowledge from the firepower that's in the studio with us today. This episode, we're talking about Big City Emergency Managers. That's a nonprofit organization that brings together emergency management leaders from across the country to share best practices and to ensure these areas can better prevent, prepare for, respond to, and recover from emergencies. That's right, Omar. Our three guests are not only part of big city emergency managers, but each are leading some of the nation's largest metropolitan areas. Please welcome to our show, Barb Graff, Director of the City of Seattle's Office of Emergency Management. We also have Tom Sivak, Deputy Director of the City of Chicago's Office of Emergency Management. And last but not least, New York City Emergency Manager, Commissioner Joseph Esposito. Thank you all for being here. We like to say that at the heart of emergency management is coordination. Commissioner Esposito, I'm going to start with you. Can you tell our listeners how big city emergency managers achieve coordination? Sure. Thank you, Omar. And uh, let me start by uh, thanking our partners, including uh, Bob and Tom, for joining us here in New York City for the Big City uh, uh, Emergency Managers Conference. The goal of Big City Emergency Managers is to bring emergency managers from the nation's largest municipalities together to share information and resources and to discuss areas of mutual concern. Uh, From Seattle to Chicago, from Houston to New York City, it's a great way for emergency managers to network and to share best practices and lessons learned uh, from so so that we can make our own cities better prepared and resilient. You know, uh, during this week, we'll be hearing about uh, Hurricane Mike. We'll be hearing about the the New York City steam blast, uh, steam pipe blast. Uh, we'll be hearing about terror attacks. We're getting a presentation on the urban search and rescue teams. And uh, what I find is when when we do this, we always come away with learning something. There's always something that we can add, mm-hmm. even if it's a minor point. We always come back with being better prepared in, in a, for, for what's going to, uh, you know, attack us here in the city, whether it's a man-made event or a, or a natural uh, disaster. Wonderful. Barb, how about you? Coordination, what does it mean? I'll just add two things. I agree, obviously, with everything the commissioner's already said. I'll add two things to the importance of uh, big city emergency managers. One is we also tend to attract, since when you put all of us in a room together, we represent nearly a quarter of the nation's population. And so we also um, we attract gravity by uh, asking cabinet member officials or the FEMA administrator mm-hmm. or others to be in the room and talk through policy with us. Uh, it's even more effective that way. Plus, we're, we're creating the relationship with the federal government that at some point we're all going to count on. Second, I want to give um, a shout out. We have a handful of private sector partners who help sponsor our meetings. Two of those sponsors, Target and Esri, help um, put together um, some experiences so that emerging leaders from within our programs, future leaders of emergency management programs, are capable of learning those same lessons of coordination, policy development, leadership, and, and other things. So it's, it's really a tremendous experience. 
Tom, last but not least. Yeah, uh, one other thing that I would uh, say that we focus on is we have a network throughout the entire nation. Mm -hmm. Uh, And while we have numerous great problem solvers within our respective jurisdictions, it's one of the greatest things that we have is we can always pick up the phone uh, and there's always someone across this country that's going to answer your call, especially when you have a complex issue or problem that you want to accomplish. Mm -hmm. I love that it's a shared business. Now, what are some of the activities that big city emergency managers uh, engage in uh, to help the field grow and develop? Commissioner, let's start with you. Well, the, f- the field only grow when we work together. And that's, that's what's so important about getting together a couple times a year. It sets up the network for us to, as Tom said, we could pick up the phone and call somebody and say, hey, mm-hmm. we, we have this situation. We know you had a similar one. What did you do? We have that face name recognition. So it really is great. Big city emergency managers not only allow top decision makers to share best practices, but we also advocate for improvement to the field in critical emergency management issues. For example, we just sent a letter to the leaders of the FCC regarding the the WIA, the Wireless Emergency Alert System, and as a result of that letter, there were some major changes. Uh, the system which much better used now. We can uh, add more characters. I think we can send photos. It's uh, And that's a result of us sitting down, talking, uh, realizing there was a limit to it. And now uh, the nation, the, the, the you know, federal government has seen uh, our request and acted on it. Barb, what about you? I, I would add, um, I was going to mention wireless emergency alert also, um, but the Regional Catastrophic Grant Program mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. one of, I think, the most valuable experimental grants the federal government ever tried to create. Uh, so about a couple of years after Hurricane Katrina, uh, Department of Homeland Security did an audit of urban areas across the country, chose 10 regional areas to say, take your emergency plans all the way up to the catastrophic level, which we did. Uh, the astounding thing, I thought, though, was it was usually cities at the core of those regions who not only shared best practices and lessons with each other, but we made sure that we weren't duplicating. So you didn't have New York and Seattle and Chicago and uh, Honolulu and Norfolk all doing exactly the same plan. We talked with each other to make the best possible use of those grant dollars. We're actually advocating that grant program come back into existence again. It's all about planning for these highly unusual events that always tax us the most. Mm -hmm. Tom, what about you? I think uh, there's two things. Uh, One is the Emerging Leader Program that the Big City Emergency Manager Program has. Uh, So I always see it that we have, we're on the cusp uh, when Mm -hmm. it comes to leadership. Uh, And Right now, when we see the Emerging Leader Program, we see the next generation of emergency managers coming into play. And it's a really good opportunity to see the ideas that come out of these programs and see how they can continue to grow within the programs. Um, The other uh, thing, too, is that whenever we have exercises, we always find opportunities to try and engage within our cities, whether it's a virtual aspect or whether it's being physically uh, in in another city where they may have different hazards or risks that are associated with it. So when we're able to get together and and, and work through these, these kind of problems, it really gives us another set of skills that we're able to leverage uh, when we have uh, when we have incidents. All great points. And uh, to the commissioner's point about the wireless emergency alert system, uh, those changes are coming up in May 2019 uh, and also in November. So as the commissioner said, the character count is going to increase from 90 to 360 uh, and messages will also be available in Espanol as well. Mm-hmm. And those are that's Spanish for those who may not know what Espanol <laughs> is. <laughs> Uh, But this question is for everyone. Um, And Tom, I'm going to start with you since you've been going last. Uh, But while big cities might share similar characteristics, you know, each may face different hazards, as we know. For example, Seattle, there's landslides, there's volcanoes. New York City, we have hurricanes. Chicago may experience, you know, winter weather. Um, 
what would you say are the biggest challenges for your respective cities? Some of the challenges that we have started to see are that when we have these large disasters, these large incidents taking place, um, we're starting to be the receivers of people who are seeking uh, a different, maybe a temporary place to live. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're seeking a different set of services, such as uh, food, clothing, shelter, um, maybe even um, relocating to the city for a longer term. So right. when we had the bigger disasters, and um, the unfortunate events of Puerto Rico is a prime example, uh, we saw many uh, people who became residents or became temporary residents or full-time residents of the city. So starting to think about these cascading events that are impacting us on a different side, when it's sunny and 70 outside, when the disaster is 2,000 miles away from us, yeah. is uh, one of the things that we're seeing as a bigger challenge. And when we start looking at these large type incidents, like the earthquakes in Chicago, we have um, we think about the New Magic Fault. We don't think about earthquakes all too much in the city. But one of the things that we always think about are what are the cascading effects of a New Madrid event and mm-hmm. how are we going to be able to provide those services to uh, these residents or people who are affected? I'm going to build on what Tom just said. In Hurricane Katrina, we were 2,500 miles away from the Gulf Coast states, where 90,000 square miles and I can't remember how many people were affected. 5,000 people came to our county 2,500 miles away, not on military planes, just they heard it was a good place to be cared for. Church buses went and picked them up. Onesies and twosies, relatives came, and 3,000 of them still live there. Mm. So it's good for us when we're talking about catastrophic level events. Um, They really need a a systematic way of planning for them and recovering from them. And I think that big city city emergency managers do a a great job of that. Uh, My biggest nightmare is an earthquake, which doesn't come with a hurricane warning. Um, And so one of our biggest challenges in the Pacific Northwest is the fact that we have to convince people of something that has a very low frequency but enormous impact. Uh, so that that's always a challenge where I, I always sound like Saturday Night Live's Debbie Downer when I talk to absolutely everybody, <laughs> got to have this, got to have this. Uh, but it is a big challenge. And so we try and ride everyone else's emergencies around the country and, and around the world, quite right. frankly, saying, here's what the earthquake looked in Japan. Here's what it looked like in Haiti. Here's what it looked like in Christchurch, New Zealand. Now look at the hurricanes and you can have the same kind of devastation. That's why we need to be ready. Yeah, I think uh, I think our biggest challenge for, for me is is keeping up with the with with the times. You know, we can't uh, get comfortable and, and rest on your laurels. We have mm-hmm. dozens of plans, but we got to keep those plans up to date. Uh, we, I'm sure we can open a plan right now, read something, and say, "Why is that in there? It's outdated, sure. or mm-hmm. something's in that plan that we that was not in the plan that we have to deal with." I mean, a few years ago, I guess more than a few years ago, but cyber threat was nothing we even had to worry about. Right. Now it's probably the thing that keeps me up at night. Uh, a cyber attack can shut down a multitude of, of systems in this city. It could affect our transit, our water supplies, uh, electricity, everything. So uh, we've got to stay on top of that. So I think our biggest challenge uh, for me, and I think the other uh, emergency managers, is to staying up with, with current threats and, and uh, the needs of the city. Mm-hmm. Can I add one more that, that you made me think about, Commissioner? And that is the Rockefeller Foundation has done a nice job of talking about shocks and stressors. Mm-hmm. And I think most people think logically you plan for the shocks, the hurricanes, the tornadoes, the floods, the earthquakes. Mm-hmm. But a stressor these days is homelessness throughout the entire country. So if I needed to open shelters for an earthquake tonight, I would start with needing to shelter 4,500 people and then increase from there. So that, that's another reason I think it's good for us to get together and talk about how are we handling the kind of daily emergencies that mm-hmm. affect our programs in our cities as well. 
Can I add one other thing to that? Of course. So you, you talk about it. You know, one of the things that we talk about in the office is it, it's emergency management is we see it as a problem solving aspect. And we're being dealt complex problems that may not necessarily affect us as subject matter experts. And so then we have to go out and find that information. Uh, to the commissioner's point, cybersecurity. When I, you know, when I was hired in, cybersecurity wasn't even thought of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now when we look at cybersecurity, we have to try and put it in the lenses of an emergency manager, which to us, we always talk about the consequence management piece of it. So we have to, as the, as the commissioner was talking about emerging threats and emerging incidents, staying on top of that is definitely something that is going to continue to, uh, you know, keep us, try to keep us ahead of the game or near it. Lots of wonderful points. Uh, switching gears a little, Barb. Uh, this question is for you now. I know you are a member of the, Emer- the Emergency Management Accreditation Program Commission. And for our listeners, uh, this accreditation program, or EMAP as we like to call it, establishes measurable standards of excellence for the Emergency Management Program. Barb, can you break that down a little more for those who might be listening? I'd be happy to. Emergency management, uh, compared to something like law enforcement or firefighting, is a relatively young profession. People have been doing emergency management, but professionalizing it has, has, has been relatively recent. So when I started in the business almost 30 years ago, there were no college or university degrees. There, there wasn't even high school mention <laughs> of the idea of emergency management. Um, uh, FEMA wasn't offering the online courses they have today. They were offering actually very few in-person courses to learn how to do emergency management. So um, some highly decorated veteran emergency managers around the country came together and said, how would we define what a holistic emergency management program should be all about? It should be about studying your hazards and and alerting and warning your your community appropriately, having operational plans and a way to coordinate um, logistics and resource management systems. And they built those into a set of standards. So there are now, and the standards evolve. Every every three years, they're updated. Um, So currently, there's 64 standards that an emergency management program is, is expected to be able to meet. The first thing you do is just take a look at the the standards themselves. It's just a few pages long. And for those emergency managers who think, this is something on top of what I do, I don't have time for this. It's exactly what you do. It's exactly what emergency managers do. Um, Do a self-assessment and find out, well, how how robust are my protocols Mm -hmm. for alert and warning and operational readiness, et cetera. Then you invite in um, third-party professional assessors, those of us who have experience in those different aspects of emergency management, and we assess what it is you put into your documentation. We watch you do radio tests. We visit your alternate emergency operations centers. We interview your stakeholders and find out, yeah, is this, is this really what they say it is? And then you get a report that goes eventually to an emergency management or an emergency management accreditation program review committee. They make a recommendation to the commission and have found that you've met your compliant in all 64 standards, mm-hmm. then you achieve accreditation for a five-year period. I'm thrilled to say that we just celebrated uh, 15 years of accrediting programs and accredited our 100th program uh, this last March. Wow. So we're picking up speed. Uh, more than 30 of the states around the nation are accredited. We now have international programs like a Saudi Arabian hospital. Uh, we have federal level agencies, uh, CDC and FEMA Region 6. And so we've, we've learned and proven it's a set of standards that are applicable to emergency management anywhere. 
And how long is this process uh, from beginning to when you receive? Good question. It really depends on what state your emergency management program is in to begin with. Mm -hmm. So I was with a neighboring city, Bellevue, Washington, when they were looking for a local program to be the pilot of trying on the state program and was selected. And I didn't do anything special. I just started documenting what I had. At the time, there was 54 standards, and my program was found um, uh, uh, compliant in 52 out of the 54 standards. Mm -hmm. That's before I even wrote a hazard mitigation plan. Mm -hmm. So it was a, a well-of-all program, didn't take a lot to get to, to the final two standards. Uh, when I moved into Seattle, I inherited a program that was not well-documented. Okay. A lot of people, you know, Bob and Susan and, and someone who had all the, the knowledge in their head, they, <laughs> they knew what to do because of their experience. But as soon as they retired or moved, we, we, didn't, we didn't have that. Right. So it took, a, it took us some work. It took us several years worth of putting that kind of documentation together. I mean, we talk about this a lot, Omar, that winging it is not an emergency plan. And it also applies to emergency management across the country. Yeah. And, you know, even you said like a Saudi Arabia hospital, like there is a quality assurance that is being done, which I think is really important because there needs to be standards to make sure that we're all doing, you know, the right thing for, you know, not only the people who work here and live here, but people who even visit here as well. So I think that that's great. Um, Tom, this question is for you. So you recently received the National Homeland Security Association's Leadership Award, which is very exciting. Um, you talked about um, some of the challenges that the city of Chicago has faced, but what have you found to be the biggest lessons learned as a leader? Yeah, so as a leader, a couple of things that I found. First is empowering your team. Uh, one of the things that I've found um, is when um, when I empower them, they actually are the ones that come up with the solutions to the problems. Uh, and then they always remind me to trust in what they're doing, that they're going to get the job done. So being able to set expectations and then letting them carry through is an, an amazing uh, experience. Uh, the other thing, too, is to listen. Um, a lot of the time, uh, as emergency managers, we might be A-type personalities, right? We want to get out there. We want to coordinate. We want to make sure we're doing the best for our residents. But um, at the same time, if we just sit back and listen, we'll know what the bigger picture is. And, and so it's one of the things that I've learned uh, to be a valuable lesson as, as I've grown. Um, the other thing, too, is um, explaining the reason why. Uh, when I came into with, with my team, especially, uh, is uh, I was able to explain reasons why we were doing certain things. Because especially uh, in, with working with um, people who are from multiple different uh, different backgrounds. Uh, when, when everybody's working with different backgrounds, uh, they might not necessarily know uh, or understand a certain situation, especially if you have a lot of subject matter experts in the field. Um, and the last one is, uh, it's okay to be wrong. Uh, a lot of time, it's, it, whenever, I, whenever uh, I've been wrong, I've, I've been able to look you know, at the team and said, okay, all right, I, I was wrong on this one. So let's, let's come up with a solution that's going to be better off. And I like what you said about listening, because I, I think especially I know with you, Commissioner Esposito, uh, you often emphasize how important it is for us to work with our partners in the community to improve the work of our agency. And a huge part of that is listening to them, getting out there and seeing what they have to say and then uh, seeing how we can implement it and use it for the betterment of, of the plans that we have for them. Uh, how does... Um, BCEM, Big City Emergency Managers, support this goal of getting out into the communities and listening to what people have to say? Well, the people here at this conference are our partners. Right. Uh, they're not our community. We, they're communities from all around the, the, the nation, but they are our partners. And I always find that the answers to 
the problems best come from our partners or the people who are closest closest to it. So Big Cities brings us all together. These are the people that are closest. These other agencies are closest to a lot of the problems. And, uh, you know, I'm anxious to see what I'm going to learn <laughs> from this week. I always come away from this conference learning something, and I'm really looking forward to it, uh, working with these folks. Uh, they've been in the business, as Bob said, 30 years. I'm a newbie. I'm only here four years. <laughs> uh, uh, Bob, what did you start when you were about five years old? I really am looking forward to a terrific week uh, uh, to learn, uh, to share our experiences. But really, I want to I want to learn for what, so we here in New York City can better serve our, our, our folks. There are many things that Craig Fugate did when he was the FEMA administrator that I really admire. And one of those is to introduce the concept of whole community planning. Right. And I think he used to use tornadoes or some of the biggest tornadoes as a great example of if you don't work with the major employers who the second they get damaged, they just pull up roots and leave. You've also taken away jobs, schools close, all mm-hmm. kinds of different things happen. So um, the whole idea about working with community is to find out what are the, what are the strengths and vulnerabilities within your community. And how do you pull out and capitalize on the strengths and then knit together uh, multiple solutions uh, for, for the weaknesses? So um, uh, both gentlemen are right. Um, you, you just you can't do this without, um, in our case, the, the, the uh, Red Cross, the Coast Guard, the hospitals, the universities. Everybody has a role to play in emergency management. The most single important thing an emergency manager can do is to meet people we've never heard of before and find out what their role is right. and, then, and then get them comfortable with it. So we've talked about this, a prof- the profession of emergency management, still a relatively new field. Commissioner, you may only have been with the agency for four years, but you've had a breadth of experience. We can all attest to that. Yes. Um, but emergency management, we also say, goes beyond local, state, federal government. It goes everywhere. It's even in the private sector now. You know, you look for, you know, we were talking about university and the career path is that emergency management is now something you can major in um, for undergrad or even graduate programs, which I also think is wonderful. Um, But this question is for all of you. And Tom, I'm going to start with you. Um, Where do you see the field in the next few years and beyond? So one of the things that comes to mind is uh, technology. So technology is going to start driving a lot more of the decision-making processes, whether it's uh, before a disaster to be able to uh, do better modeling when it comes to uh, any type of natural hazard event, um, or uh, if it's during the response of trying to map out where people are being affected, utilizing crowdsourcing technology, which is relatively, it's still relatively new, or other technology like Bluetooth technology or anything else like that. Uh, when there's during the response and the recovery period. So one of the things I heard a long time ago was you're not graded on the response, you're graded on the recovery mm-hmm. of a community. And one of the things that uh, we've talked about in terms of technology was what would happen if you could map out where people were going in GPS where a, a emergency response vehicle or a, um, a Salvation Army feeding truck is located and being able to map to be more efficient, to be able to provide the services back to the community and help them recover quicker. You know, so technology is going to drive a lot of that, but we have to be able to uh, figure out how that's going to connect into programs that we may or may not be able to have access to and bring it all together in one common operating picture uh, so everybody's working off of the same sheet of music as opposed to different and disparate um, uh, te- te- technological advances. Mm-hmm. Barb, what about you? I'll add two things. I agree with the technology, such as earthquake early warning. You, mm-hmm. you, you potentially can get seconds to a couple minutes warning if you use technology appropriately. 
Um, what I want to add is in the future of emergency management, um, we need to find a way to link into larger larger problems than our local communities. So I think about sea level rise. Mm-hmm. Um, the sea is not just rising on the Atlantic seaboard. And yet 60% of all Americans live in coastal communities now. So, it, And this is a public and a private kind of um, situation. It affects our shipping, our ports, and everything else. We need to be able to, in emergency management, have a louder voice about the value of science-based decision-making and, in, and investing much more heavily in mitigation up front. Um, and I have already forgotten what the second thing was. So. <laughs> <laughs> Commissioner Esposito is going to be smarter now. <laughs> well, the way I see us going is I think uh, as an agency, uh, I think around the country it's true, I think we're being dependent on more. I know here in New York City, when I got here four years ago, we had 150-some-odd people. Mm-hmm. We're up to over 250 now. Uh, the city's putting more and more responsibility on us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're taking that responsibility. We're, we're taking it and running with it. I, I'm thrilled that they're counting on us more. So I see the emergency management as a bigger, a bigger dog in the fight now. I really do see us growing and being more... Uh, more being more depended upon by I know here in, in New York City at least that that's the case and I think that's the case around the country. Mm-hmm. I've actually even seen that myself too with um, the way you know when when I've spoken to people about well what is it that you do oh I'm in emergency management now if I tell people that people know exactly what it is I'm talking about like oh so. Does, is your agency similar to FEMA? Well, it is. And then we explain, you know, we deal with different complexities. You know, we work really closely with our communities and things like that. We talked about whole community planning. But I think a few years ago, if you were to ask somebody uh, off the street, do you know what emergency management is? They'd be like, I don't know. They manage emergencies. Like, what do they do? <laughs> yeah. And that's a big part. What you said is so true because that's part of what we want to do here in New York. Get our message out, what we do, what we're capable of doing, mm-hmm. how we can help you uh, be, be informed, get ready for and respond during an emergency. Uh, and I think that's what we're really doing a good job at lately. We're getting our message out more. Over a, a thousand seminars uh, a year we're doing. Yep. I want that to be over 2,000. I want to get out. I'm sorry, folks, but I want, <laughs> us, I want you out there more and more and getting to the people that need us the most. And I think that was the big uh uh, issue that the people that needed us the most, the people who are the poorest, the hardest workers, new immigrants, they did not know what we can provide for them, how we can help them. And I think we're finally getting that message out, uh, not as much as I'd like, but uh, to some degree, and we got we got to do more of that. That's my mission going forward. I'm going to tag on that one as well in that um, our agency also is being looked at to be able to be the coordinating agency for many different types of incidents. Mm -hmm. And one of those is uh, when the teachers go on strike. So most people think you activate your emergency operations center when the floodwaters are in the street or buildings have toppled or a major transportation accident has happened. But in our community, at least, and probably many others, when the teachers are on strike and the schools don't open – a really um, indecent number of kids don't have a safe place to go during the day or or they're not fed. And so to our mayor, that's a disaster. And so we have right. several times now opened up um, parks and uh, rec centers and, and other types of, of community shelters that we can use to provide emergency daycare. Um, um, same thing, if people need to stay home and take care of the kids because the teachers are on strike, then, you know, it disrupts the economy and everything else. So I think I think more and more leaders are recognizing the value of, of people whose, whose basic purpose is interagency coordination. One thing that absolutely, and, and what the commissioner said and what Barbara said is, is 100% true. What we do well 
is bring people together. Uh, and every time we turn around and we have a major incident, last year uh, when we I, I go to Puerto Rico again, but when the unfortunate events of Puerto Rico came in, our mayor said our doors are open. And so when our mayor said our doors are open, we had to come up with plans and, and uh, make sure that we were ready to receive whoever came through that door and provide a level of assistance that is expected from, from our residents. And so as our, our we, we have a duty to our residents to be able to provide the services. And when we have these events, we can bring people together. We, we brought together 60 agencies from across the city in non-traditional formats. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know some of these agencies and what they could do. And within two days, we had a laundry list of, of agencies that were able to support people who were affected by a disaster. So it's, it's, it's one of the things that I believe is uh, what we can always do is bring people together with just an email or a phone call. I like that. What we do well is bring people together. Um, you've mentioned uh, that the field has evolved and grown to the point where kids are now studying emergency management. Um, so my question is, what advice would you give to, one, the emerging leaders, or two, those who are interested in pursuing uh, emergency management? Well, I, I think it's a great field. Uh, and as Allison pointed out, I, I did have some history with civil service before I came here. And, a lot uh, of history, not some. No, just a little. Just <laughs> He's a little. being modest. Right. <laughs> I, I worked in a different agency for 40 some odd years. And uh, what I did was help people. Right. And what I'm doing now was helping people. There's no better job. The advice I would give to people that want to come into this field, there's no better profession, no better occupation than one where you help your fellow man, woman. There's no better, there is no better uh uh, occupation and emergency management that's what we do we do it every single day we get them ready we keep them informed and uh, we have them make plans uh, there's no it's a selfish it's very selfish <laughs> because you're helping people and you're feeling good about it right. so uh, it's a great job it's a great profession I would encourage everybody if you have any kind of thought about getting into this field do it it's very very rewarding I would offer there's a free way of learning a lot about emergency management. So you can take online uh, FEMA courses, um, and and I highly recommend that. Um, I'd also suggest going to conferences, which are usually organized specifically for networking opportunities. So if you have the opportunity to go to the International Association of Emergency Management Conference, for instance, that's a great way to network with thousands of emergency managers across the country. If that's a little out of your budget range, most states usually have a local or regional um, similar type of an event. Um, that you can attend. You get jobs meeting people. Um, there, it, we, we, I know when we have open positions, we have nearly 300 applicants for every position. So the way to get known is, is to make eye contact and have a handshake. Um, and then finally, I highly recommend doing a, vol- a volunteer project or an internship with any kind of emergency management program, a municipal program like ours, or a hospital emergency management program, or with the Red Cross. Um, that, that, that experience of helping people really weighs a lot on a resume. Tom? So emergency management covers the private, public, and nonprofit sector. It spans the entire um, uh, enterprise, more or less. So when it comes to emerging, uh, you know, when people are saying, what, what can we do? What can I do to get in? Uh, the first thing I always say is be willing, to, be willing to move, pick up, and move. 
Uh, personally, I switched six jobs in seven years. Now that's really bad on a resume, <laughs> uh, but my whole goal, my life goal was to get to the city of Chicago and right. work in, in, in a major metropolitan area. So I had to move. And so one of the things I tell people are just watch for the jobs, apply for the jobs, get that experience, especially uh, with what Barb was offering in terms of the uh, free free classes. Uh, but then also too, um, you know, be open uh, where to because where you start is never going to be where you end up. Well said. A lot of great advice and, and great points. Uh, we're going to move into our rapid fire Q&A. Uh, for our listeners, this is the first time that we're doing this, but I'm sure we're going to get some insightful answers. I'm going to let Allison start it off. Okay, I'm very excited about this. So we're going to go around the room. Commissioner Esposito, we'll start with you. Um, what do you think is the most important emergency preparedness tip? You know we have a lot of them, but what is what is your top? Staying informed. You've got to be informed. If you have the information, current information, or if you've made your plans, then you can put them into place. But I think having the right information, accurate information at a timely fashion is probably one of the most important things you could have. Barb? Make friends with your family, with community. Social capital gets you through disasters. Tom? Uh, know how to communicate in times of disaster. So, you mm-hmm. know, everybody has a phone, if not mm-hmm. two of them. So whenever we're, we're dependent on that, know how we're going to be able to communicate if that's not working. Question number two, Tom, I'm going to start with you. What is one emergency item you can't live without? An air mattress. <laughs> My first disaster, I tried sleeping on a cot and I realized it was like sleeping on concrete. So now wherever I go, I always carry an air mattress <laughs> with me and I know I can always at least get 20 minutes of sleep. I like that. Barb. Water makes me thirsty thinking about it. <laughs> Commissioner. These damn cell phones that I have to carry all the time. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of them. Um, okay. Uh, Commissioner, uh, what do you consider your best success in the field? The increased outreach that we've uh, we've accomplished over the last four years. Uh, I came in with, with that uh, mission to get our message out of what we do and how we do it and who we can do it for. And I think uh, we've increased that outreach uh, to a point where it's acceptable. I'm, I'm not uh, 100% uh, we're gonna keep uh, happy with it yet, but we're, <laughs> we're moving in the right direction. So increased outreach. Barb? Getting the Seattle Emergency Management Program accredited and then serving on the commission to help 99 other programs get accredited as well. Tom? Uh, last year, we had to open up a resource center for people who were affected by the hurricanes. And when we opened up that resource center, we did it from a locally-based concept. Uh, and it was something that... Uh, we were able to utilize um, the plans that were set for multi-agency resource centers or resource centers, and we were able to take those plans and leverage them. So uh, setting that up, especially at the local level, is definitely a, a big success. Wonderful. We've got two more, and then we're, we're, we're out of the rapid-fire Q&A. What's your favorite disaster theme movie or TV show? Tom, let's go. All right, so uh, Paw Patrol. And the reason why I say Paw Patrol, and I'm getting some <laughs> big yays in the room, uh, is when you watch the show, it, you can see where, they, where, uh, where you have Ryder, who's the emergency manager, and you have Chase, who's the, fire, who's the police officer, and Marshall, who's the firefighter, and Rubble, who's the public works person. So when you watch Paw Patrol, I always think of it in, in the world of, uh, of uh, um, that you're, they're doing emergency management, and they're always doing something to serve every, 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 every episode. But every, after every episode, I also take my boys, and we actually play them emergency manager. So uh, I have three boys. And uh, when uh, when we start playing emergency manager, we always just dump a, a box of cars that is uh, fire trucks and police cars and public works. And we always dump it on the floor and we start coordinating appropriately. <laughs> <laughs> Paw Patrol. I love it. Yep. Barb. Uh, the Martian. If Matt Damon can survive on Mars, anybody should be able to survive here. Great, great movie. movie. <laughs> Sir. 
Sharknado, of course. <laughs> 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 no, I'm kidding. I bet they didn't have a plan for that. <laughs> uh, but uh, a little, again, on the light side, King Kong, the original King Kong. Right. The who, who had oh, yes. a plan for a giant gorilla attacking New York? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So last but not least, Barb, we'll start with you. Sum up the future of emergency management in one word. Growing. Tom? Inspiring. Preparedness. Wonderful. All right. A lot of insightful uh, information here. And as I said earlier, if you're an emergency management enthusiast, this is the episode for you. If you're not, it still is because with the firepower in this room, there was a wealth of knowledge that we learned today. Absolutely. And uh, we encourage everyone to, you know, visit your local municipality online, check out more information about emergency management, what they do, how they help your community, and please get involved. Volunteer, um, apply for opportunities. We would love to have you. And that's this edition of Prep Talk. If you like what you heard, you can listen anytime online or through your favorite RSS feed. Until next time, stay safe and prepared.